Listeners, just a heads up, we recorded this episode Friday morning, which means you will not hear us discussing the tragic school shooting that took place Friday in Santa Fe, Texas. We are, though, thinking about everyone touched by the tragedy. All right, here's the show. Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Daddy. This week on the show, NPR reporters Braxton Booker and Vanessa Romo. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Joining me from Washington, D.C. at NPR headquarters, Braxton Booker, reporter for NPR's National Desk, and Vanessa Romo, breaking news reporter for NPR's Two Way Blog. Hello to both of you guys. Hello. I'm loving this song. Right? What up? Robin. I love it so much. We'll talk more about it in a bit. I, though, am sending you all virtual work-appropriate hugs from NPR West in Culver City. (laughs) Keep your distance. (laughs) So this song... Uh, it is one of my favorite Robin songs. One of my favorite songs probably of all time. It's yes. a song called Dancing on My Own. Let's just play a bit of the clear. It's so beautiful. It makes you move. And I'm playing this song today because the scientists at the University of California, Irvine, they had this study looking at the last 30 years of pop music and lyrics of 500,000 pop songs that charted in the U.K., And so they found this really, really strange thing. The sound of pop over the years has gotten dancier and more upbeat, but the lyrics of pop have gotten actually sadder. I saw the same study and I was like, is this true? And then, of course, the person like linked to this song. And it it is a sad song, you know? She like wants this guy. He's not there, right? She's in the corner crying. I mean, like the chorus says, stilettos and broken bottles. I'm spinning around in circles. And then she goes... <laughs> She's watching her ex on the dance floor with someone else and talking about how sad she is about it. Why is she all up in their business, though? Like, that <laughs> Why did the they come question. to the same club? I mean, and now she's it all up in her feelings. <laughs> you guys, these are lyrics. Listen, listen. But I'm not the girl you're taking home. It's so sad. It is, and I feel for her. So this study, um, they said, quote, So it looks like while the overall mood is becoming less happy, people seem to want to forget it all and dance. Truth, (laughs) truth, truth. Anyways, uh, we're going to keep this show dancey and happy. We got Vanessa Mm -hmm. and Bracton here with me to look back on the week of news and culture and everything. All right, let's get into it. I want each of us to describe how this week of news felt in only three words. Vanessa, you're up first. All right, are you ready for this? Uh, My my three words are, it is contagious. What is contagious? It, and it can be a (laughs) bunch of different things. (laughs) So this week, I couldn't help connect this to the year anniversary of the Robert Mueller investigation into whether or not there was Russian collusion with the Trump campaign. And, you know, there have been 19 indictments, 19 different people have been charged and five guilty pleas. And it, you know, it was this small incident, right? I mean, one of the things that started this ball rolling was this meeting between Donald Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, and then these like Russian nationals, right? And, you know, they started right off the bat denying 
everything about this. So right yeah. out of the gate, they were like, uh, no, no, no. This was a meeting about adoption and the Magnitsky Act and, you know, all of these different things. <laughs> yeah. And so that has it's been snowballing. So it's kind of like an infection, right, that can get mm. worse over time. And the mm-hmm. more like half truths you tell or efforts you make to hide what really happened, the bigger it becomes. And now here we are a year later with no end yeah. in sight, 19 indictments, five guilty pleas. And we don't really know when this is going to end. Well, and what I found the most surprising, and you touched on this a little bit, Vanessa, the longer the investigation goes on, the more things that Team Trump had denied, they have to admit. The whole Stormy Daniels thing. Remember right. for a while they were saying, there's nothing there, there's nothing there, there's nothing there. And then we find out this week on Trump's official financial disclosure statements, these payments to Michael Cohen Absolutely. to pay for Stormy Daniels. And he denied it. He didn't know anything about it. Cohen was saying, no, I paid it. This is my own money. He never paid me back. And now there are actual records there indicating that there is a, I mean, there's a paper trail. records showing yeah. That, yeah. that, yes, you did actually pay back. And this should have been classified as a liability. Yeah. I will say it does feel a little 2018 to live in a time where we mark the anniversaries of criminal investigations. <laughs> it just feels weird. Anyway, That's what true. other part of your three words are there? So it is contagious. You know, I cover breaking news. One of the big stories that I wrote about this week was uh, a new report out of the state of California, their health department, um, showing that STDs in the state are on the rise for the third year in a row. So, oh, that's fun. Thanks for that, Vanessa. You know I live here. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful is what I'm saying. Oh, Lord. Ooh, okay. um, but what's really, I mean, more terrifying is the fact that the CDC, their most recent report, which is from 2016 numbers, are saying the exact same thing. So this is a trend we're seeing nationally. And so I obviously talked to some experts and I was like, hey, what are the explanations for this? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, don't we all know how to avoid these things? And um, she said, you know, there are three reasons for this. One is the ubiquity of dating apps and sort of like a byproduct of that is that people don't necessarily exchange contact information. So if somebody finds out that they have an infection, there's no way to tell the other person because if your only mode of communication is Tinder and you delete each other, then that's it, right? You can't reach out and say like, hey, go to a doctor. Um, (laughs) So there's that. That's a crazy follow-up call. Yeah. She also said that um, that state level cuts to health clinics in especially in rural areas are really contributing to this huh. um and then third which was really surprising to me the prevalence of like effective hiv aids medication has yeah. made it so that people aren't afraid anymore and so mm. condom use is just kind of down and, and i'm sure people don't talk about it as much either because when we were growing up like this was a topic of discussion all the time all the time in schools and you know and like with your friends and movies and whatever and this just kind of like people are like there's prep and yeah. you're good yeah. you're gonna be fine you know what the solution is to all of this, Bracton and Vanessa? What? Stand in the corner and dance on your own. Yeah. 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 Bracton, do you have three words? I do have three words. Um, eat, pray, love. Oh, I Ooh. love that. 
Yeah, All right. I love Let's that. See. Has nothing yeah. to do with the book or the movie Julia oh. Roberts. It's describing the week where where partisan bickering intensified ahead of this vote on the farm bill, which is actually taking place right now as we're taping. The House is uh, considering the farm bill. So what early, is the farm bill for those that don't know? So the farm bill is this massive piece of legislation. It's renewed every five years. It's up for renewal because the current farm bill expires in September. Mm-hmm. And yes, you would think that it has a lot to do with crop subsidies and farming, but the bulk of the Farm Bill has to do with the Supplemental Nutrition uh, Assistance Program, also known as SNAP. Or previously known as food stamps. I would say most people still call it food stamps if you don't know. Or the EBT. Yes. 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 The card. So, okay, so the Farm Bill is actually the food stamp bill. For the most part. Uh, it's about 80% of of the Farm Bill. And that's up for renewal. That is up for renewal and... Uh, what's happening with the Republican-backed plan is that they are placing uh, stricter work requirements on SNAP in this House bill. So you have so to work now to get food assistance. You had to work. You, there were work requirements already associated. So what, okay. do, what this bill does is make them a little stricter. Huh. Basically, it's saying, OK, under the current plan, 18 to 49-year-olds who are not disabled, these are ABODs that they're referred to. Oh. able bodies Able-bodied uh-huh. adults without dependents. OK. So now ABODs are going to be classified as uh, 18 to 59. So you're almost 60 years wow. old. Um, they have to work or get... Uh, being involved in a uh, job training program, or if you don't, the penalties are pretty strict. You could lose benefits for up to a year. The second time you violate it, you could lose your benefits for like three years, which is, that's an extremely long time if you are, uh, if you're relying on these benefits to to kind of make ends meet. Listeners, I'm going to jump in here with a quick update. Since we recorded this episode, The Farm Bill failed in the House. Members of the conservative House Freedom Caucus derailed it. They wanted a future vote on a hardline immigration bill in exchange for support of the Farm Bill. As for that Farm Bill, lawmakers still have until September to renew it. What else made you say Eat, Pray, Love this week, So, if anything? Yes, I'm going to go a little bit in reverse here. Not Eat, Pray, Love, but Love, Pray, Eat. Okay, so. (laughs) All right, okay. I love Donald Glover. (laughs) AKA yes. Childish Gambino. Absolutely. I loved him when he was on Community. I thought he was the most talented yeah. one there, even though they didn't give him a big role. But I digress. So, look, I pray at his continued success, right? He's certainly eating right now with This Is America, right? Yeah. The number one uh, single on the Billboard charts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he bumped out who? Who do you know? Do you know? No. I don't know who. He bumped out Drake. Oh, good. Drake's Thank God. God's plan. <laughs> so. I wonder, was this God's plan to have Donald Glover be number one and bump Drake out of the top spot? I'm dropping the mic. Done. Bam. Done. Done. You guys, I have three words. What are your three words? My three words are just say it. Mm -hmm. And I say those words because for me, this was a week full of political leaders and ex-leaders either mincing their words or not mincing their words. (laughs) And it had me saying... Just say it. The first, Exhibit A, 
uh, would be former Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, <laughs> who I lovingly call Flex Trillerson. Wow. <laughs> he gave a commencement address this week at the Virginia Military Institute in Lexington, Virginia. And most people that saw it and watched it and heard it think that he was low-key throwing shade at his former boss, Absolutely. President Donald Trump. We have some tape of it right now, actually. If our leaders seek to conceal the truth or we as people become accepting of alternative realities that are no longer grounded in facts, then we as American citizens are on a pathway to relinquishing our freedom. So I saw that and I was like, Rex, Mm -hmm. if you feel how you feel and you're talking about who I think you're talking about, just say it. Name it. He's no Mm. longer your boss. I don't know. It it was one of those things where it's like, all right, we're in this era of, of politics where everyone says what they want anyway. So why are you holding back, Flex? <laughs> Meanwhile, Donald Trump is always just saying it. Like, there was this moment this week yep. where he was hosting this immigration roundtable at the mm. White House. And seemingly out of the blue, he called some immigrants animals. We have people coming into the country are trying to come in. We're stopping a lot of them. But we're taking people out of the country. You wouldn't believe how bad these people are. These aren't people. These are animals, and we're taking them out of the country at a level and at a rate that's never happened before. So after this, defenders of those comments said, well, he was talking about really, really awful members of this notorious gang, MS-13. But other folks said it doesn't matter who they are. You should not talk about people as animals. I will say one other uh, situation of a politician just saying it this week came from Europe. The EU president, Donald Tusk, he kind of went to task on Trump this week in a tweet. It was about uh, Trump's choice to leave the Iran nuclear deal. And he wrote, quote, in a tweet, looking at latest decisions of real Donald Trump, someone could even think with friends like that, who needs enemies? But frankly, EU should be grateful. Thanks to him, we got rid of all illusions. We realize that if you need a helping hand, you will find one at the end of your arm. He just said it. Ooh. He just Ooh. said it. Ooh. With that, let me say this. We got to go to a break. But coming up, we're going to talk about the royal wedding and how the British press is doing some really weird coverage of Meghan Markle. We'll also talk about two Supreme Court cases that could affect voting districts all around the country. And we'll play my favorite game, Who Said That? You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll be right back. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Simply Safe. Simply Safe security systems are designed to protect your home in any situation. Even if you lose power, internet, or your phone line, Simply Safe will help keep your family safe. Simply Safe systems are self installed and completely wireless, designed to disappear into your home and provide 24 7 protection, all without annual contracts. Learn more today about how Simply Safe can help protect your home at simplysafe.com/npr. Hey everyone, I'm Robin Hilton with All Songs Considered, NPR's weekly music discovery podcast. We know it's hard to keep up with all the great albums coming out each week, so every Friday we do a quick run through the most essential releases. Get New Music Friday from All Songs Considered in the NPR One app or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here today with two guests, Braxton Booker, reporter for NPR's National Desk, Vanessa Romo, breaking news reporter for NPR's Two-Way Blog. All right, you guys, I have a quick question for you about this little royal wedding tidbit that kind of has me disgusted. Oh, <laughs> Can no. I tell you? So I found out this week uh, that forever, it seems, the official wedding cake for the royal wedding has been fruitcake. Mm. I saw that, too, and it really mm. grossed me out as well. It's weird. Is fruitcake really that bad, though? Yes, I think it, it is. Oh, yes, it is. I can attest. It's bad. Even the good fruitcake is bad. But in a twist at this royal wedding this weekend, they are not going to do fruitcake. They're going to have an organic Amalfi lemon and English elderflower cake incorporating the bright flavors of spring. Oh, I like that. What's mm-hmm. y'all's ideal wedding cake? Or just cake for would, some of us. I would just yeah. say whatever I had at my wedding, which I can't remember what kind of cake was, but like whatever it was at my wedding, honey, it was it was delicious. I want a Tres Leches cake. Ooh, 100% I'm with you. I don't want a wedding, but I want a Tres Leches cake. Yeah. No, I'm Mexican, and so for uh, many, many of my birthdays growing up, I had tres leches cakes. It's so good. That, you know, and flan, which I know I'm an outlier. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, yeah, flan, don't <laughs> do it I for me. I love it. Okay, okay. <laughs> now it's time for a segment that we call Long Distance. So the royal wedding is happening this weekend. I'm not going to follow the wedding too closely, but I do want to talk today about how the British press has been covering Meghan Markle, soon to be wife of Prince Harry. Um, she's historic in many ways. She is biracial, half black and American. But the coverage of her and her family and like third cousins twice removed, it has been crazy, kind of nasty, a little bit racialized. So I wanted to call up somebody in the UK and ask them as a dumb American is this a thing? Like, just how usual or unusual is this coverage and conversation on uh, Meghan Markle? And what does this say about the UK and about race there? So we've got Sarita Liu on the line from London. Sarita, you there? Hi, Sam. Hey, Sarita. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, you're in London? I am in London. I'm hearing no accent. Where's home home? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'm actually from California. Where in California? Um, San Francisco, but I went to UCLA. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Uh, well, yeah. hello, fellow Californian. You're on the phone with two friends of mine, uh, Vanessa and Bracton. Say hi, guys. Hi, Sarita. How you doing? Hi, guys. So you're there doing what in London? So I'm a choreographer, and I took some time off to go to graduate school. So I'm here for three years, and I wrote in to talk to you because I'm also a biracial American 36-year-old woman living in London. So oh, snap. I thought maybe we could chat about that. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you feel about the royal wedding and Meghan Markle and her making history? So I'm an optimistic person, so I think this is all really fun and a kind of joyful distraction to all the turbulence happening elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you said, it is, it is more complicated than that, isn't it? So people are, I think, really curious, but actually the energy around the royal wedding itself is really subdued. Subdued? Why is that? Because, I mean, I'm assuming as an American that, like, everyone's talking about it all the time. Is that not the case? So they actually say, when I ask a British person if they're going to watch the royal wedding, they laugh at me and then they say, oh, you're an American. 
no way. But you're not alone. I mean, you're not alone. We see, you know, Kate and William's wedding. We saw the throngs of people outside of the palace, or is that what it's called? Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I'm not alone. So perhaps the British public is a little bit subdued. But I have noticed that the British press has been going crazy with their coverage of Meghan Markle and the wedding. There have been some really weird headlines and some of the words used about her and her family are just strange. Like, for instance, the Daily Mail back in November tweeted this story out with the words, From slaves to royalty, Meghan Markle's upward mobile family. That same paper used the phrase that Markle was, quote, almost straight out of Compton. Um, There's other instances of this weird kind of racialized coverage. A journalist named Rachel Johnson, who's actually the sister of British Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson, she wrote about Markle in the mail a while back that Markle could help bring a, quote, rich and exotic DNA to the royal family. My question for you, Sarita, as a biracial woman in the UK, does this kind of coverage feel off to you? It feels off to me. Well, that coverage is definitely off, but most of it's really innocuous. Most of it's just about her clothes, but I would also say that the royal family is playing with this a little bit as well. Like, How so? I think the second royal outing that they've been on, maybe even the first, was to Brixton, which is a historically black neighborhood in huh. London. Okay. And it wasn't, you know, I don't know their, their reasons for it, but it was noticed. Yeah. So I, I had a question because I saw this really interesting quote in the in the Guardian. Uh, I think it was last weekend, uh, where where Dr. Kenji Kendi Andrews, a professor at Birmingham City University, is quoted uh, saying, "Look, Meghan Merkel is a beautiful woman, but the royal family doesn't change because you have a splash of coffee. <laughs> she isn't a dark-skinned woman with an afro. She looks like Pippa and dresses like Diana." Who said that? That's really rude. <laughs> this, this is Dr. Kendi Andrews, who is a professor at oh. Birmingham City. As a biracial person, my perspective is that this is fascinating. We are hopefully all going to be going the direction of Brazil and just getting a lot of coffee in our cream and cream in our coffee and <laughs> mixing it up way more. Um, I'm actually really glad that person is voicing that opinion because it brings up this kind of classical challenge of black people i think which is Hmm. that are you too light do you speak like you went to university is that okay like when do you when are you in one community when are you in the other community does it have to be so stratified does it do you have to change how you dress to fit in i mean these are all really deep questions i want to ask you though to close As an American living in the U.K. right now, what is the biggest difference you've noticed in the way that Brits and the British press talk about race and think about race compared to how we do it over here? I think I actually had a British roommate when I was at UCLA, Mm -hmm. and she commented to me when we were living together, she said, wow, this, and she's a white British woman. Mm -hmm. She's like, your country is so racist. (laughs) <laughs> like what? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I, I mean, probably yeah, but like, <laughs> by that. <laughs> and she just said it's all it's so overt. There's just overt racism. And this is two thousand five, you know? Yeah. This is not very long ago. Mm. One thing that's really interesting and maybe helpful about Londoners, people are more grouped together. 
it feels a little messier here. Hmm. I feel like in the U.S. there's this feeling of, ooh, but if they get that, we won't get that. Yeah. Here it's really all about class. So it almost simplifies it in a way. It's like, sure, really? you're a Caribbean immigrant, and sure, you're a Polish immigrant, but you're both poor, and that's actually what matters, and that's the thing that, we're, that brings us together, and we're going to focus on coming out yeah, of poverty yeah. together. <laughs> so besides the royal wedding, what are you going to do for fun this weekend? The wedding! I have my answer all prepared. <laughs> <laughs> Um, wow. Honestly, I am going to study because I have an assessment coming up next week. So that Saturday will be for celebration and Sunday will be for study. What are you studying? So I'm studying dance science. I'm learning about what dance does to the physical body and the emotional body. Wow. That sounds it's amazing. really cool, you guys. So you're going to be dancing this weekend. Yes, right? dance okay. more. The more you dance, the healthier you are. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Well, I hope you dance all weekend in celebration oh, of the you. royal wedding. And Sarita, I thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure. Thank you, guys. This was so fun. Thank you so much. I love the show. Thank you. <laughs> bye. Okay, bye. Listeners, I want to talk to you about how you're dealing with the news where you are. If you have a reaction to something that you've heard on the show or a thing happening in your neighborhood, let me know. Drop us a line at any time at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. All right, so it is Supreme Court season, and some major opinions are coming down from the court in the next few weeks. And I wanted us, uh, because of that, to take some time right now and focus on one issue the court is considering. It's a very big issue that could affect a lot. State houses and congressional seats everywhere across the country, elections everywhere across the country, talking about gerrymandering. This is the practice of political parties shaping districts in certain ways. You know, you've seen those maps where, like, the lines seem like they were drawn by a drunk toddler on a moving bus. You know what I'm talking about, right, Bracken Vanessa? <laughs> yes. Not the so, drunk toddler part. Drunk yeah. toddler on a moving bus. <laughs> yes. So anyways, the court might make a decision and might get involved in the shape of these districts. Uh, there are two cases that they're considering right now that really focus on partisan gerrymandering. This is where the party in power redraws those districts to keep itself in power. So I wanted to talk about all of this, and I called up Dahlia Lithwick. She covers the Supreme Court for Slate. She also hosts a podcast with them all about legal issues. It's called Amicus. And I asked Dahlia to explain these two cases for us, tell us why the court might be thinking about doing anything with gerrymandering, and what we can expect to see in the next few weeks. Hello, Dahlia Lithwick. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It's so good to talk in person to a voice that I hear a lot. (laughs) Thank you. My kids say that too. Yeah, no, thank you. (laughs) It's good to be here. So I want us to talk today about two gerrymandering cases, one from Maryland, one from Wisconsin. And I want to break down each case quickly. But first, I want to ask you, why is the court doing this now? Because for a long time, the Supreme Court has said, we should not be involved in this issue. It is too political. That's right. And I I would break it down one farther. And I would say racial gerrymanders, they have been scrutinizing it. But you're exactly right as to these political, purely partisan political gerrymanders, the court has tended to say, we're out of this. Mm-hmm. And and I think the reason for that is, uh, as is always the reason for everything at the court, is Justice Kennedy, Justice Anthony Kennedy, who is the famous swing vote yeah. at the center of the court. 
And in 2004, the court heard a, a famous political gerrymander case called Vieth versus Jubilee. And four of the justices, the liberal justices, essentially took the position that political gerrymanders are awful and we need to do something. And four of the justices said, this is a thicket of misery. We're staying out. <laughs> and Anthony Kennedy, as is his want, said, no, I actually think there is a, a possible uh, constitutional infirmity with political gerrymanders, but I don't know what the standard is. I don't know what the fix is. Mm-hmm. He basically wrote a, a, an opinion that was really the fifth opinion on neither side of the case exactly, saying, I'm going to look for what I what he would call a manageable standard. Gotcha. I want a justiciable rule. And that's what this case presents. Gotcha. So let's break down that Wisconsin case, Gill versus Whitford, and it concerns the state districts that that the GOP drew in Wisconsin back in 2011, which affected 2012 elections there. And so uh, basically, the GOP constructed these districts with the help of some really smart computer programs to get the voters they want and the districts they want. And they did it so well that even though they got, what, like 48.6% of the vote in 2012, they ended up with a 60 to 39 majority in the state house. That seems a little fishy, no? Right. And then if you look at the 2014 election with 60, they, they, they end up with uh, 63 of 99 seats. So they get even more uh, seats uh, with 52 percent of the vote. So I think one of the really important things, and maybe we should parse this a little bit, is that everybody does redistricting, yes, right? We everybody. have a census every 10 years. Redistricting is important. We want to make sure that uh, districts are representative. So it only becomes a gerrymander. Uh, when it looks like it's being done in such a way as to really entrench power. And exactly what you're describing in uh, Wisconsin is what happened. We have a, a pretty good record of, you know, that being a state. And there are several states where it looks like the legislature and the governor uh, got together and said, how do we make sure yeah. uh, that even though this is a purple state, it's about 50-50 in terms of the electorate, how do we make sure that disproportionate amounts of power are entrenched going forward for the next 10 years. And with Wisconsin, I mean, like there were these stories of like a secret room with locks on it where these Republicans went in and like pledged to not talk about it. I mean, it's when you unpack it, it looks like exactly the kind of case that Kennedy could say, all right, there's something here. What is the legal issue that challengers to these GOP maps in Wisconsin are bringing? So in the Wisconsin case, they end up bringing a kind of classic equal protection 14th Amendment argument. They gotcha. simply say, if you're diluting my vote to the point that I my vote doesn't matter, uh, then I have an equal protection claim. Hmm. Uh, now, one interesting thing to flag is that Justice Kennedy, in that case we talked about uh, from 2004, he evinced some interest in First Amendment claims. So he actually uh, uh, said in his opinion, you know what, my be a problem for the First Amendment is if uh, we had a gerrymander that so quelled one's political voice for First Amendment purposes uh. that that uh, could become uh, a constitutional violation. So, so a vote as speech. Yeah. And, okay. and I should note that the Maryland case that we're going to talk about in a minute actually is a First Amendment claim, gotcha. although there are First Amendment claims in the Wisconsin case, too. Yeah. 
So let's get to that second case in Maryland, uh, which confirms a truth about gerrymandering. Both parties do it. Uh, This case in Maryland concerns Democrats crafting one district in that state. What's that about? Exactly. So you just said the most important thing, which is there was a huge question when the court had already heard Gill, the Wisconsin case, they heard it in October. Why were they adding a second case to the Mm -hmm. docket to be heard in March? And everybody was scratching their heads because they're effectively the same issues. And I think one of the reasons was we just flagged it was that that this was a speech claim uh, in addition to the equal protection claim. And maybe that was interesting for the court. Or maybe it's to prove that both sides do it so that there's a way in which if you want to have kind of bolster the idea that this is about democracy and not about Republicans versus Democrats, it's a good idea to take cases from both sides of the aisle. Are there any specifics of that district that stand out to you or basically it's just the Dems drew this map that helped them win and the GOP's mad? Well, the the Maryland case is different from Wisconsin in a couple of ways. And one way which is important is it only actually challenges one district. Not the whole in Wisconsin, state. they're yeah, they're challenging statewide. In Maryland, they're saying there's just this one district that the Democrats redrew after the census. The other issue in the Wisconsin case that doesn't show up in the Maryland case is that in Wisconsin, the plaintiffs say, look, you asked for a justiciable standard, right? You Mm -hmm. wanted a yardstick, Justice Kennedy. Have we got a yardstick for you? And so they pull together this thing that is called the efficiency gap. And it is literally a mathematical model that tests what's called wasted votes. It's a way of saying we are going to run the numbers in the state and we are going to figure out exactly how many people's votes are not counted. And it goes to this whole complicated question about packing and cracking and how districts are gerrymandered. But the important thing is that the court is given this way of measuring it, of testing it. Um, The Maryland case doesn't have an elaborate, you know, here's a fix. We're proposing you look at this and use this as the benchmark. Uh, And I think the justices are just really anxious about having a mathematical formula. I think Chief Justice Roberts in October called it, quote, sociological gobbledygook. He's like, we are not bringing, I know, you can imagine the social (laughs) science community was not. They they actually wrote him an angry letter uh, saying, don't call our work. The social science community. I love it. Um, But I think it goes to what John Roberts was saying in the Gill argument when he wasn't uh, disparaging social scientists. He was saying, are we really going to get in this fight? Are we going to hear every single gerrymander case? Are we going to be the arbiters of like Dems win, uh, Republicans win? Because that's going to besmirch the integrity Mm. of the judiciary. Mm. And that anxiety is like a cloud that hovers over this entire area of law. So then Anthony Kennedy has a lot of power right now. What's he going to decide? I think that the challengers who challenged the Wisconsin gerrymander uh, felt pretty good after the October argument in Gill uh, because he only asked questions of the Wisconsin legislators. He had no questions whatsoever for the challengers. It felt as though, to the extent that you can judge from oral argument, if he had skin in the game, he was going to find a political gerrymander. Uh, I think that people were less sanguine after the March uh, arguments uh, in the Maryland 
Maryland case. I hmm. think that there was some sense that he had backed off. I think there was a general sense that clearly the court was struggling internally uh, with whatever they had decided to do with the Gill case. So I think that it muddied the waters a good deal. Uh, the one thing that also happened uh, that's just worth flagging is that in February, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court took it upon itself as a state Supreme Court uh, to redraw maps and to I say, you know this. what, we're not waiting for the Supreme Court to solve this. And it changed everything. We're just... It changed everything, including, you know, possibly uh, elections we just saw in Pennsylvania. It will change more in the midterms. Uh, so I think one thing that we may see happen is state Supreme Court saying, hey, you know, if you're not going to do it at the big show at the U.S. <laughs> Supreme Court, we're going to do it here in the minors. Uh, but we're going to change the rules for the purposes of creating some kind of uh, justiciable standard in our states, which isn't to say that the Supreme Court isn't going to do something big in these cases. I suspect it will. But it is interesting that if you agree with John Roberts' anxiety about the Supreme Court deciding everything, maybe it's not the worst thing for states to step up and start to do some of this fixing itself. Okay. I'll be watching. I might even call you up again in June. (laughs) Thank you so much. This was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. That was Dahlia Lithwick. She hosts a podcast for Slate called Amicus. All right, time for a break. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from AT&T on behalf of Audience Network and their new original series, Condor. Based on the cult classic film, Three Days of the Condor, this modern-day spy thriller stars Max Irons, Mira Sorvino, and Brendan Fraser. Condor premieres Wednesday, June 6th at 10 p.m. on Audience. Watch it on DirecTV Channel 239 and streaming on DirecTV Now. Do you love trivia, puzzles, nerdy games, and humor? What about interviews with actors, musicians, and people from all walks of life? Yeah? Then join me, Ophira Eisenberg, host of NPR's Ask Me Another, every week on the NPR One app and wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here today with two guests, Bracton Booker, reporter for NPR's National Desk, and Vanessa Romo, breaking news reporter for NPR's two-way blog. Y'all, it's time for my favorite game, Who Said That? (laughs) (laughs) At this point, we all know the drill. It's really simple. I share a quote from the week. You guys have to guess who said that, or at least get close, get the story it refers to, get a keyword. We're loose with the rules. It ain't Jeopardy. Uh, But know that the winner gets absolutely nothing. (laughs) You guys ready? Ready-ish. Can you do this? Uh Uh-huh. All right. As a special twist today, the two of you will be facing off against Laurel and Yanni. (laughs) That was was a joke. All right. Ready? First quote is, I am tired. Long life is not at all God's gift for me, but a punishment. Who said that? God, that's a sad one. (laughs) Was this the Australian man? It's actually about someone who has lived a very long time. Can you guess where this person might be from? If you even get that close, we'll give it to you. Uh, What's the foreign country America can't stop talking about right now? Iran. Oh, another one. North Korea. Russia. Russia. Oh, yes. Did I win? 
Oh, no, it's God. one out of three. You haven't oh, won yet, Brad. Okay. Oh. But this is a quote <laughs> from a Russian woman. Her name is Koku Istanbulova. She is believed to be 128 years old, <gasps> according to the pension fund of the Russian Federation. She lives in this village in Chechnya, and she was talking about her long life this week and said even though she's lived a long time, she's not too happy about it. Um, she was asked how she lives so long, and she said... It was God's will. I did nothing to make it happen. I see people going in for sports, eating something special, keeping themselves fit. But I have no idea how I lived until now. She also said that in her entire life, she's never had one happy day. Wow. How (laughs) Russian. Wow. Koku, if you're out there listening, you're probably not. Um, I do hope you have a good day. (laughs) (laughs) Next quote. You guys ready? Yeah. Yeah. Waldo, you're the best son money can buy. Who said that? Sam, I'm not going to get any of these. Are you Waldo. kidding? Waldo. Waldo's mom. No. <laughs> Waldo, you're the best son money can buy. It's about a movie that had somebody famous in it. Who's in the news the most right now of all the people? Of all the people besides Trump. That's it. Wow. Give him a point. <laughs> Donald Trump. This quote is from Donald Trump. Uh, It was a line that he had in a very quick cameo in the 1994 classic film, Little Rascals. We have it right here. Hi, Dad. It's me. You're going to be so proud of me. I'm going to win this race. Waldo, you're the best son money can buy. Thanks, Dad. Uh. (laughs) Right? So this is in the news this week because Donald Trump's financial disclosure statements came out. And we found out this week that Trump is getting residuals from from his appearance in The Little Rascals. Uh, His statement said that he made between $201 and $1,000 in royalties last year from that line in that movie. Hmm. Bracton, you're up two to zip. Of course I am. (laughs) Oh, listen, buddy, don't get on your high horse. I've been helping you out a lot. (laughs) You ready for the last quote? Yeah. Let's say this is a triple score, so Vanessa, you could win All right, this. I can scoop this. All yeah, right. yeah. You ready? Mm-hmm. Quote, it is plausible then to suggest they seem to be borrowed from a far distant future in terms of terrestrial evolution, or more realistically, from the cosmos at large. I think I know this one. Oh, God. Wait, oh, oh God. I'm going to be so embarrassed if I'm wrong. Just say it. Octopus? <gasps> yes! Are you serious? <laughs> So this is the craziest story I saw all week. There is this ongoing battle over whether or not octopuses are aliens. (laughs) I can't even say that without laughing. Have you seen this? So there was this article in the Express newspaper from the UK this week quoting this study that was released recently making the case that octopuses are actually aliens. The theory is that... Uh, these alien octopuses evolved on another planet before arriving on Earth hundreds of millions of years ago as cryopreserved eggs dropped onto Earth like maybe on a meteor or something or in some strange space rain shower. (laughs) The source of this theory is a study called Cause of Cambrian Explosion, Terrestrial or Cosmic. It was published in the Progress in Biophysics and Molecular Biology Journal. Uh, Here's the thing, though. In spite of this very official-sounding study, a lot of other scientists say, no, this is stupid. This is fake. (laughs) Octopuses are not aliens. This is dumb. I'm going to say they may be creepy. No. And they're very smart, but I do not think that they're aliens. I'm just trying to figure out if 
I were an alien and coming to live on Earth, would I live in the depths of the ocean? But, like, if you're, like, shy and reserved, you can just be an octopus, live in the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> it's dark and quiet, and you can just chill. I love the idea of a shy and reserved alien. You know, I'm just a little shy. <laughs> so, uh... Doesn't matter who won, the octopuses won. That concludes (laughs) who said that. All right, now it's time to end the show. As we always do, we ask our listeners to share with us the best parts of their week, the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. They do. Let's take a listen. Hey, Sam. It's Anthony and Alyssa. Say hey, Sam. Hey, Sam. The best thing that happened to us this week is Alyssa turned two. Yay. Thanks, Sam. Have a great weekend. Hi, Sam. This is Wendy from O'Fallon, Missouri. It's Leanna from Kent, Ohio. Lauren from Houston, Texas. This is Amanda from New Jersey. This is Ann McPartland in St. Louis, Missouri. The best part of my week was being able to see two of my nephews graduate with their master's degrees. Both of my kids graduated from college. My baby sister graduated from college. Not just one baby brother, but two baby brothers graduate from college. I passed my licensing exams. I finished my very first board exam. And am now officially a registered nurse. Hey Sam, this is Tellus from Houston, Texas. And the best thing that happened to me this week is I underwent LASIK vision correction. Seeing crystal clear without the aid of glasses is in a single word. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Sam. It's Tamika in L.A. And the best thing that happened to me this week is that my favorite person in Los Angeles is celebrating a birthday this weekend. She is also the same person who introduced me to this podcast. So happy birthday, Sylvia. And thank you so much for introducing me to Sam Sanders. Hey, Sam. This is Chris from Rapid City, South Dakota. The greatest thing that happened to me this week was my son Samuel just had scans and we found out he is now two years cancer free. We couldn't be more excited. Thanks. Thank you so much. And have a great day. Bye, guys. Bye. I love that. It's a tearjerker oh in gosh. every single way. I'm I so really proud and happy for all of those people who just graduated and are like are moving toward their fulfilling their dreams. And then that last the message. Last one, I'm just uh, like, I'm about to cry. I know. Right. Special thanks to all the voices you heard there: Anthony and Alyssa, Wendy, Leanna, Amanda, Anne, Hanya, Christy, Valeria, Tellus, Tamika, and Christian. We listen to all of these that come in. We appreciate all of them. Even if we can't play it, we hear it, and we thank you for it. Keep sending them in. You can email me at any time at samsanders at npr.org. Record your voice. Send it to me, samsanders at npr.org. All right, special thanks to two of the best parts of my week. My guests, Braxton Booker, reporter for NPR's National News Desk, Vanessa Romo, breaking news reporter for NPR's two-way blog. Thank you, guys. It's so much fun to be here. Thanks for having me. This was a blast. Oh, yeah. And a special thanks, as always, to one of my favorites for all time, Robin, with the perfect happy yet sad song, Dancing on My Own. This week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. We were edited this week by Jeff Rogers and Jordana Hokeman, and our big boss is NPR's VP of Programming, Anya Grundman. Listeners, refresh your feed Tuesday morning for a conversation I had recently with Borns. He is a really interesting musician who uh, is making me bounce these days. He has this beautiful, layered, trippy pop sound that is also a bit androgynous. It's a delight. Check it out on Tuesday. All right, thank you all for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Until next time... 
Talk soon.